Today is Wednesday, May 22nd, and this is Rev Thoughts, snackable conversations between Tim Thompson and myself, Joel Pilger. Our topic today is wishing and Snapchatting. Tim, is it possible to wish something to be true and it just comes true because you wish it? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, listen, I, I wish that were true, that people can just wish something were true. You know, it's funny. Sometimes um, companies are in crisis or like departments and companies are in crisis and they'll see like, a, a, let's say like a financial projection. And I know deep inside of them, they don't want to make any hard decisions. And I think that's kind of where that wishing spirit comes from, right? It's kind of like, yep. gosh, I just wish the whole industry would get back to normal again. That's actually a really good one because um, for anyone that's been in the industry and has certainly been an owner for more than five or maybe 10 years, there's always some sort of a story that used to be true that's no longer true, but we don't like that. So we don't want that story to be true. We keep trying to find a way to tell the old story of, yeah, but this always worked in the past. I'm sure there's a syndrome or a, some other name for this, <laughs> right? What, yeah. Like the founder syndrome. Is that the one that you talk about? Yeah. A lot? Is it like um, Pinocchio syndrome where you just wish upon a star? Made your dream come true. <laughs> what happens to your nose in that process? <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, yeah, maybe it's because you're lying to yourself that this is why you wish it was true. I did have a situation recently, actually, where I was um, working with an internal department of a company and we were trying to figure out really how the kind of like, let's say the pieces fall together, right? Cause that's the idea of a larger company that has multiple working parts or maybe like a conglomerate company that's doing roll-ups of other divisions or other, other companies to turn them into divisions. And are these creatives or are these producers or these salespeople? Yeah. I'd say like typically um, a lot of these roll-ups, it feels like they're like, um, a creative company and a tech company or an agency with client relationships that um, writes strategy. And then you want those client relationships to roll over into, let's say like your design company or your design division. Um, and that's why people stack these different departments or different capabilities together is that rollover of client project by project. Um, and then, but the difficulty is in a, in a larger conglomerate is that there's there's an additional overhead in a way. Um, there's an economy of scale where your, let's say your C-suite or your financial team is supporting multiple divisions or multiple companies. So if you had that cost on your department alone or in your company alone, it would cost a lot more. Um, but the reality is like that's still an overhead. And uh, one of one of the department heads said to me, you know, is there any way to get that cost down? You know, you know, what, what are my what are the, the my choices here? And I kind of made the comment of no, <laughs> that that's the company you're in. And they said, oh, I just wish we could. Mm. And I thought to myself, wow, isn't it interesting that um, yeah, we I think we all wish we could just drop some overhead off. Who doesn't want to get rid of overhead? Because it feels like it's the unfun stuff. Well, I mean, there's there's always easy ways of getting rid of overhead, but sometimes it feels like you're what's the expression? Cutting off your nose to spite your face. Yeah, that's that, <laughs> because I could say the baby in the bathwater problem there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, just just get rid of those resources, which is you know a, a polite way of saying cut some people. But that's not always the answer either. 
because sometimes those are, sometimes those are actually sources of sales. Like that's what you actually, how you make money is with those resources being brought to bear. Yeah. I was going to say, say that like, isn't it, it's almost the opposite problem that a lot of our clients have um, where they're actually have to add some of those resources. We're teaching them how to grow up. And instead of holding back your company because you don't want to put financial systems in place or hold back your company because you don't want to invest fully in a full-time salesperson, it feels risky. Um, you dive into it and then you think, why the heck did I wait so long? You know, and that, so those mm-hmm. in that case, they were wishing something were true without having the overhead. And then they're thankful the overhead exists. Um, there's the other, this other side where you wish you didn't have as much. So I'm wondering what I mean, you, I mean, you're in a company for 20 years, you know, tell us what that feeling really is like. Like, can you just wish it away or does that wishing inspire decision-making? Man. Well, it's hard for me to not uh, bristle a little bit. Like I get a little bit emotional when I hear somebody say, well, I just wish, because honestly, I think I heard that a lot in my, in my years from employees and you know, as an owner, it's you trying to do your best to be patient and understanding with people that um, that live in a time and effort economy, not a risk reward economy. But it's yeah. um, it's really tough. Now, if an owner says that, I don't know. Gosh, I don't. I don't know that I was ever in a situation where I found myself saying, "Gosh, I just, I, I, I just wish," because I always wanted to know what are my options. That's all I mm. really care about. Like, I don't care about wishing. I don't care about how it was in the old days. I don't care about what everyone else is saying. What are the choices I have in front of me? I can do option A, I can do option B, I can do option C. And then let's evaluate and make the best decision and live with the consequences. Yeah, and, I like that. You know, if you just do your, your do your best every day, following that course of action and you see how it plays out and then adjust and keep iterating and so forth. It's really the consequences we're trying to avoid, right? where we don't want to be the person asked to uh, do cutbacks or be the person asked to make all the decisions. Um, we actually just want the world to make the decisions for us and make it easy on us. You know, so well, you, we wish things would happen. You have this expression that I've, I loved a long time ago when you talked about, you can't avoid regret. So it's really a question of how do you manage your regrets? Yeah. And I think that's what's happening is as the owner, you think, yeah, but if I let these people go, one, I'm going to miss them. <laughs> That's just reality. Number two, I'm going to be the bad guy because everybody else on my team says, oh my God, Joel, I can't believe you just fired those people. My clients are going to be like, what happened? Are you guys failing? Like, there's all this shame that comes with, so much. with making a strategic decision called cutbacks because we live in a culture called United States of America, which says you can never shrink <laughs> right. You can never, if you were successful, you, never, you would have never needed to cut back. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's just a, you have to manage those regrets. You can't make them go away. So it just, it's almost like, again, cho- choosing options. Yeah. Of- well, I like the choosing options thing. I, I think if, um, I mean, honestly, if I have a flaw in that decision-making, it's the one where I use the, the saying, we just have to. And it almost sounds so easy. So I, I might say something like, well, we just need to, you know, hire a new salesperson or we just need another million dollars. And then the problem solved, you know, and uh, that almost sounds like, okay, that's sounds like wishful thinking too, you know, um, or we could just 
you know, grab a hold of it and do it so simply instead of realizing all the effort or work that it actually takes to make some of those decisions as well. Well, yeah, I mean, in fairness to to the the owner that's say our client in that conversation, it is for sure easier said than done. Mm-hmm. However, I think maybe the reason we sometimes might sound a little glib <laughs> is that we do know that we've been through the the decision making before, and we know we chose option two, and it worked. And here are the pieces and parts that stack up to make that result happen. And so sometimes when you're speaking from experience or recent history, you can sound glib because like I can hear you saying it already to, to one of our clients. Yeah, well, we just need can. to do this. <laughs> well, the clients <laughs> like, listening to this right now have heard me say this to them and are going to start writing me emails. Right, oh, right. Damn like, you bastard. You always did. Yeah, I can't believe that. You're so, <laughs> yeah, you make it sound so easy and it's so hard. But hopefully, hopefully I think what you're doing is giving that owner permission to be like, look, it's okay. I'm here with you. We're going to go through this together. And I know you, you're always going to say, look, if it works, you get all the credit. If it fails, I'll take all the blame. Yeah, right. Exactly right. Well, and is, um, I think there is some assumption of, well, yeah, it's hard work or, you know, let me say it my way. It's just hard work. Um, the, um, but I think there's another part of it too, is, is that many of us don't want to make a decision because we don't know the outcome. And that fear, because you haven't gone through it before, slows you down. My belief when I use the words of, well, you just have to hire a new salesperson, is to try to simplify it so that people don't feel the fear while doing that. Um, And I don't know if the psychology always works, but I know in my mind, I'm trying to make it easier maybe than than it really will be in the long run. Um, but what I also know is, and I think you have this experience when it's all over, it doesn't feel as bad after you've accomplished it because you get the kind of euphoria of finishing it. Um, and that, that feeling of the other side helps you forget some of the hardships you just went through for sure, but but really survival or, um, decision-making or growth, all this falls into the path of leadership and, and what it means to be a strong leader. I got reminded there a second ago of one of my little mental tricks that not only I used to use on myself, but I certainly use when advising owners is I'll tell the owner, you can do anything for 90 days. And all that is, is it's, it's almost putting a stop limit order on their loss or, you know, managing their loss aversion. Hmm. It's that thought of uh, when they say, well, I, I, I don't know, should we, should we hire the salesperson? Should we go get a rep? Should we boost up our internal marketing routines and so forth? And when we finally arrive on, we think this is the best strategy. I say, let's just do it for 90 days. And really all I'm doing is just playing a mental game with them called, how bad could it be? Like in 90 days, we'll just do something else if it's not working. And it, it often is the little thing that makes the owner basically say, oh, yeah, you're right. Like I'm not making a decision for the rest of time. I'm making a decision called, I'm going to hit the gas. I'm going to go to the next intersection and see if the light's green. And if it's green, I'll keep going. If it's red, I'll decide to do something else. Yeah, and just totally keeping, okay. keeping things in perspective. I like that. Right. So I guess my encouragement in this conversation would be, you know, when feeling overwhelmed, it's good to reach out to others. Reach out to the business owners. If you have a relationship with another business owner to ask what they've done, help you kind of keep and get that perspective. 
um, maybe a mentor, even just, I'm, I'm a big fan of books. I like to read yeah. through people's biographies just to understand their hardships and see what they, what they've done. I almost collect those in my mind so I can have a reference of what it might be like um, when making those decisions when the time comes also. Um, but so that would be my encouragement. You just, just gave me an interesting sort of point of segue because I've been meaning to ask you, and this is just like a real time question. Speaking Uh-oh. of mentors, yeah. no, speaking of mentors, uh, tell me about Rita and where you're at in that, in that process of uh, a session or workshop or whatever. Oh, gonna that's be, awesome. Gonna be happening. <laughs> I think you mean Rita Drucker from uh, Snapchat, right? Yes. My, my yes. good friend. Well, first, I mean, um, have you had a chance to meet her yet, Joel? Have you? I no, I haven't. Um, I haven't met her because I know cool. she was at the. You guys spoke at the Insight Conference, I believe. No, it was um, Nappy is where we uh, oh, got right. together finally. And so it, she, but she's uh, head of what at Snapchat? I forget her official title. Yeah, her official title is um, the head of brand integration. Is what her title is. But in reality, inside of the Snapchat world, they are developing original content. So, you know, where else are you going to get brand integration besides in a video piece? And there's um, a lot of opportunity inside of Snapchat. Snapchat is a platform. I think, um, I don't know about Mm -hmm. you, my kids introduced me to Snapchat. Um, And uh, there's parts of it I don't understand all the way. I'm I'm there with you. But I, all I know is this, is it's this yet another crazy video platform. And then you meet somebody like Rita and again, fill in, fill in the blanks here for me if I'm mis misrepresenting, but they have someone uh, inside their organization that is purely focused on let's develop and pr- produce original content for our platform. Yeah. So they definitely do original content. Um, as a matter of fact, so this is one of the, um, bombs she dropped. Maybe I should, should I hold back this data for, for our pro max audience or what's Probably. the release dates of our guys. So I don't want to give it all away. <laughs> well, what a boring episode, what a boring uh, session it would be if they've already heard it all on the podcast. Well, let, how about let's do this. Um, cause I know you guys are speaking at pro max and I think the details are still being confirmed. So we, we probably don't want to speak out of turn, but I think your, the session is on Thursday morning, but you'd still don't oh. have a, an official title for the session. Do you? Well, yeah. You want to help me figure that out? Maybe that would be what we can do <laughs> for the next 15 minutes here, figure out what to do. For our well, so inside of Promax, um, they're doing, uh, they're doing these things called pods. And, uh, one of the pods is about social media. So I, I believe the pod that we're speaking in is a three-part series called Social Studies. And actually, you know that video we were supposed to make with Bark Bark? They preceded okay. Rita and I, which I thought it'd be funny if you and I can actually make it into the video, then I'd be in the segment ahead of us. <laughs> and then I just figure it's coming after us and I can steal the whole, whole pod. Um, so um, part of that is Snapchat. The... 2019 is the year where the mobile device passes the television set for viewing mm. audience. So really? as we all the television set viewing audience has been, has been dropping and our cell phones are increasing. So this is the year um, and we're never returning again. So everything from this point on in your future will be dominant on a mobile device forever. 
Um, with that being said, obviously mobile platforms have a are setting a precedent on what is necessary to have a viewing eye to keep that viewing audience. And Rita and her team at Snapchat are asking that question. What does the future of content look like? And then of course, how do brands integrate into that content? Because that is where eventually money is made on these platforms. Now, yeah, because when I think of the audience at Promax, these are all of the people, let's call it in the media and entertainment space that are responsible for promoting and, and marketing all of said content, which is a whole nother layer to the question. It's not just what are the implications for content and the development of it and how brands integrate with it. But there's also this even layer of, and then how do we tell people about it? Like, how do we get the word out and promote it? Because on a mobile device, you're, you're not watching commercials, right? You don't have promo breaks on your phone like you're watching TV. So there's, I'm thinking there's a lot of layers to right. what you, you're talking about. The, the term um, you might say is how do we count it? Because um, clearly, um, for example, I don't know if you um, how familiar you are with Snap recently, there's a new filter and uh, you turn it on and it turns male faces into female faces and female faces into male faces. <laughs> so wow. uh, Rita told me that over her Easter break with her family, now she's talking about her kids, herself, her parents and her grand grandmother are all in the room together. And she said, we probably spent three to four hours playing with that filter. And that's all generations, all ages playing with that filter. How do we count that? Because it's, is it content? Uh, what it is, is entertaining, right? So is it entertainment and it's entertainment on device, but there's this idea that there's a, a sense of distraction from what feels like content and what is entertainment and then what is just playing? Like, is it, you know, is it yeah, like looking like at the other device? Right. It's almost like playing a, a game at that point. Snap's now a, a game, gaming platform. Like how goofy can you make your face look? Yeah. And, and each person has a finite amount of hours in a day. So no matter what they're doing to distract themselves during those hours for, for the purpose of entertainment, it's taking from other hours of entertainment. If that's, um, you know, some, some form of formal content or live content or action item or sports entertainment or whatever else. Uh, people are doing, engaging in their work-life balance. Um, it's doing something. And these digital platforms and digital uh, deliveries of content and brands and product and whatever is like a new problem to solve. And it's a, it's a totally different problem to solve than the, than the problems we've solved when we did television and film. So th now when I think about how do you, how do you title a session like that? Yeah, good luck. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it's almost, you're almost asking the question, you're almost asking a question about what is this thing? Like, uh, is this entertainment? Is this distraction? Is this content or is this a game? Yeah. So there's, this is what I told Rita, you know, like I said, if we, if the name of the content was re, uh, Snapchat's giving away money, come, come to the session. Um, we would fill up the whole session. Right. That's like very right. clear. what she told me is don't call it that. Cause I will kill you. Because <laughs> I'm not giving away. I might go get gold, then I'm not gonna. Um, but the, uh, for my our viewing or listening audience, um, come come because Rita's giving away money and she's gonna give away that session. <laughs> right. um, give no. away something. Yeah, yeah, come, no. come, she's come gonna give away insights, which is billions, even more and she's handing it off right to you. 
Um, no, so obviously that's not true. What we're going to talk about is something like this. Um, the, the greatest viewing audience in recent history, I don't know how far back this might go, but just for example, when you and I were kids, there was a TV show called MASH. If you were born in 1986, mm -hmm. you probably don't know what that is. But the final episode of MASH had the highest viewing, viewing audience ever at 80 million people. In the most recent history, the greatest viewing audience was the This Is Us season finale um, that followed the Super Bowl when we found out how Jack died in the in the in the house fire. So 28 million people viewed that episode following a Super Bowl on a television episode that was promoted everywhere with anticipation. 28 million people. Rita recently launched a show called Endless Love. Gosh, I hope I'm getting this right. Rita, I apologize if I'm <laughs> getting this wrong. Endless Love. Um, because I don't know the name, it's clear that I, I, I'm not that familiar with, that, um, with the show that's on Snapchat. But I will be before we start our um, we do it for our session. Um, when they launched the show on Snapchat, they had 28 million people view the show. Mm. So a sh one show that we've been waiting for, we know it's promoted, it's highly regarded, it's counted, so it counts 28 million. Her show, how did they count it? They can't count it. So it's almost like even though they have 28 million viewers, it doesn't count in the usual demographics. It's outside of Nielsen rating. Therefore, it's unheard of. It's that that change is what we have to start understanding in the marketplace. But I'm guessing Snap does know that 28 million people turned on their device and watched the thing. But your question is, how do they actually translate that to to brands or to sponsors? Like when you say it, they can't, it's not, it doesn't count. What do you mean by that? Well, um, one is, is sure, yeah, to monetize it, it's there. Almost like it doesn't count in the zeitgeist of information, right? It's not something we're right. talking about. It doesn't, it's like the future has showed up, walked into your living room, sat down, and you can't see it because you're looking at, that's maybe the present or, or, or vision of the past because you believe television is the only way to watch content. And then this thing shows up, it's doing something around you. You can't, it's, it's escaping um, parts of the marketplace. And that, right. that Meaning, creep one day, the switch is going to be hit. And all of a sudden you're going to wonder what, where all this technology came from that, that took over. Right. And I guess what you're saying is the, that we commonly refer to viewers audiences in these old terms that would be maybe Nielsen style mm -hmm. terminology, paradigms, what have you. And here there's this giant shift happening over here, but because no one's talking about it, it's as if it doesn't exist. Yeah. Even though it's equal to the greatest numbers you can get on television and no one can even, yeah. no one's even seeing it. Um, the, the thing I have in my, in my mind in this might be a total made up um, story, but I swear there's some kind of story like, when the, um, the explorers landed on the shores of North America, the Indians had never seen a ship before. I don't know, this is crazy, but, but therefore they didn't recognize it as a ship and they didn't recognize who was landing on the shores. So they, it's almost, it was like invisible to them, even though it was right in front of them because they didn't know how to com what this thing was that was coming at them. They had no category to understand um, the threat or you know, change that was coming at them. Um, and, because and, because the, the shape of a ship on the horizon to them has no correlation to a concept called our entire existence is about to utterly change forever. That's right. 
<laughs> which it had, you know, arguably had minor impact on North America. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, like it's <laughs> clearly that's the opportunity that is also being presented. And I, I kind of want to have an understanding of if you can see it, then it's yours for the taking. And the one example I have is um, like early television. I find um, Lucille Ball, um, you know, that I love Lucy's show as mm-hmm. like the first TV show. And I don't mean like the first one seen on air. It's just that the first tele- television broadcasts were actually radio shows just broadcast on television with a video screen, um, with, a, with, a, with a television set. It's Lucy, I Love Lucy was a show actually written for the format. So she became a superstar. It was brand new. She embraced it. And then um, they also invented technology to support that format, right? So... Uh, Lucy and Desi owned all these crazy, amazing patents in television because they're the first ones to really embrace this format and make a show that worked for the new format and not just do a radio show think, on TV. Yeah, because wasn't it something like it was a, a multi-camera shoot and then they invented, I think it was the Moviola or something like that. The Moviola. Editing and Yeah, I think they could also these innovations. view as they filmed and that kind of stuff, but they needed to see these things in real life. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So if I'm following your, your comparison here, you're essentially making an argument that says, similarly, there is content and content promotion that could be designed, engineered, what have you, for the platform, just like Lucy and Desi evolved it from radio to television there's a similar transformation or evolution about to happen. That's right. With something like Snapchat. And I'm going to argue, this is what I think I want this session to be about. So I actually have a proposed name. You're going to tell me how cheesy this name is or how great okay. it is. Actually, you're going to tell me how great it is. Because if it turns out to be a real name, then we won't be able to go. No, I'm going to hate it. Um, <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> it actually isn't the future. It exists right now. Like the, the platform is in my pocket right now. The function of the platform already is here. So it's not a future, it's present. The title I have in my mind for the session, or at least the thing I'm going to try to overcome, is this idea of the present future. Which the present future, I always kind of like that name because it's um, like a form of speech or it's a form of a verb. And it mm-hmm. has like a recurring thought of the, the future of the present. But it also like has this idea of like the present and future are they coexist. And this is one of those times of this is a moment where the future there is, is something that we're living out because the, all the things that we need in the future are ex- existing now. We just haven't realized it yet. It just hasn't um, played itself out yet, but it will play itself out. It's inevitable. So here's my, here's my, uh, so I, the title's good. Thanks. <laughs> but if I was going to be, if I was going to be, you know me, I love to be controversial. I would, I would have like a, a, a title prefix, meaning a little title before the title, and it would be something like, your tense is all wrong, colon, the present future, or something nice. like that. <laughs> right? Like get, people, get people wild up, um, and they're like, what do you mean, tense? I, that yeah. doesn't even make any sense. I'm like, gotcha. I love it. Well, there's something fun about the word tense, right? Because uh, there should yeah, be, should, some people should be tense in this movie. <laughs> Right. There's a double entendre. In Maybe there it's somewhere. like, why are you so tense? <laughs> no, I'm just. Oh, that's that's kind of nice. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Or uh, whatever. We can have 
Yeah, we can have fun with that. But I'd like that the idea of tents. But that's I love the point you're making though, because that you're right. In a way, this is the like been our complaint for the past ten years. All these conferences that we go to, people talk about, I don't know, whether it's change is the new normal or mobile first implications for blah blah blah. And I'm like, we can't we can't keep talking about these things in the same way because clearly this device that I'm holding in my right my hand right now, my new shiny iPhone ten R. Oh you got the R. Does effectively this device is bit no, just the black one. Uh-huh. But it's it's a great device. But this device, I mean, conceptually speaking, it's been in my pocket for more than a decade. Yeah. Yeah. And what so, have you done different already. with it? Right? Take it maybe take in more selfies. Is that all you really do? like now I have it. Now I can do selfie in portrait mode so it's a fuzzy background. Right. As if that's the evolution. And and uh, I mean, Joel, there's like goofy stuff where um uh, the number one function on Snapchat is where you um, you open up Snapchat, you take a photo, you swipe to the right. There's a, a stamp that tells you the, the weather and the time. So <laughs> there's a generation of people that are taking, in order to find out what the weather is, like what the temperature is outside, they're opening up Snap, taking a photo and swiping to the right to find out what the temperature is outside. That's, That's they're funny. thinking of it as an operating system. And if you if you are listening to this right now and you and you and you're holding the device in your hand, um, open up Snap, point it at a product, and hold down uh, your finger on that product. It will immediately scan Amazon and Shazam, by the way, because they'll do a sh- uh, listen as well. Um, so you'll do a song or an Amazon that will come up immediately, and you can purchase that item. So it's a it's a it's a purchasing device snap is a purchasing platform not just to make your um you know like your dog nose and voice change but it actually you can purchase on it so so that's the that's the content engine that these um opportunities are being based on is is that the, the um the lean forward method of being able to watch and purchase at the same time because you're adding the a new sense not just uh, seeing and hearing but now touch is part of the sensory um, platform that this new, or, or this a new uh, sensory, um, I don't know, yeah. um, expectation is yeah, of this experiences of this, um, of this platform. That's brand new. And that, uh, that gives us new opportunity and new, um, uh, I don't know, a uh, new way of developing opportunities. It. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, gonna, I was about to brag that I'm finally watching Netflix on my phone right <laughs> after, <laughs> you know, because I, I'm sure you were in the same boat too, that when, when content first started coming uh, like via Netflix and over the internet, the conventional wisdom was nobody's going to watch that stuff on their phone. I mean, it was, there wasn't even bandwidth to watch it on our TVs at that time. So people weren't even going to stream content on their TV, much less their, mobile phone. And now that I'm actually watching content on my phone these days, I'm just chuckling at, Oh gosh, little did I know. Um, but here's a great reference. I, there's a cool podcast out there. Uh, what is this podcast called? It's the bit called business wars. And one of their, they have a, they do these different series. And one of their series is called Netflix versus blockbuster. And in that story, they basically tell why did blockbuster lose well, how did netflix win and i can remember the moment in the story when netflix 
basically had to gamble everything on streaming and get out of the DVD business. And they had to double down on devices. And it was such a crazy move when it happened because the conventional wisdom was no, yeah, it's not going to happen. And so now you just, the reason I tell that story is think now when you look at something like Snapchat and all the things that we're saying, oh no, no, nobody would do that. Nobody cares about that. That's not going to ever be relevant. And five or 10 years from now, we're going to be looking back and saying, oh yeah, do you remember when everyone said, oh yeah, nobody would watch Snapchat, you know, watch TV shows on Snapchat or something. I, I, and, I, I'm going to say in, in three to five years from now, we're going to say something like, wow, isn't it funny that we used to watch um, programming that lasted more than 12 minutes? Because mm. it, it, the, the, um, the rate at which we're devouring information, like um, 86% of Gen Z audience watch more than an hour of content that lasts less than six minutes. So they're watching six episodes of something in an hour. Mm -hmm. um, that Very what's different. astonishing about with that is you have to make six TV programs in an hour, not one. So you have to have six show creators and six areas of promotion, <laughs> six times the it's six times um, amount of content and a promotion, ability, and integration and sales and ad sales all in the same hour to keep up with the rate at which um, that the future yeah. generation is going to devour content. Well, it sounds like you have your work cut out for you. Then. <laughs> yeah, thanks. To, to even like, right? Like, how long is this session? This pod that you're doing is it? Oh, is it I think we have seven hour? minutes. There's seven or eight minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's right. short form content, Joel. What? It's the new platform. We can't go. We can't go twenty minutes. That's that's so. Uh, you know. So wait, 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 wait. No, in all seriously, how long is it? <laughs> it's not seven minutes, is it? <laughs> no. No, but okay. it'd be awesome if we did. It would be like we're Gen Z, where it's a seven minute piece. Yeah, we're not the baby boomers, Joel. Oh it's not an hour. It's not an hour long. I I believe we're sharing an hour with. I, I maybe it's an hour and a half. Maybe we have thirty minutes a piece or something like that. So we'll we'll okay, cover 30. a topic. So it's like a 30, 30, 30 uh, format. It's like one long session that's broken into three pods that are thirty minutes each. Yeah, and they, come on, listen. Like it, our audience should know this by now. If the reason you're going to Promax is to watch Rita and I talk for thirty minutes on stage. You've mixed, missed the other 17 hours. Reed and I will be wandering around Promax talking to people like a normal human being. Right. So <laughs> if you haven't met Rita before, I recommend going to the conference because this is how it works. We're going to let's pivot right now to how to do a conference revving style. <laughs> Go to the conference, listen to this person, write something down. And if they, then they live on a platform, let's say like, for example, Snapchat, make sure you Maybe. are using Snapchat, not Instagram, to do your social media posting, but capture information and then promote the person on stage. Oh, I love when Rita said this, or I love when Rita said that. So of course you use other platforms, LinkedIn or whatever to promote that, but make sure you are feeding the message forward, right? That's lesson number one of how to do a conference. Lesson number two, grab a piece of uh, information and then afterward find them and say, thank you so much for sharing this piece of information changed my life or changed my thinking or what have you. If they are, if they do open up for questions, lesson number three, don't ask a question if you're going to ask a stupid question, right? Just don't <laughs> right. say anything well, because there will be a bar afterwards or there's going to be a session afterwards you can just talk, but please don't. What's the, what's the saying? It's better well, to, um, the rule of thumb is, 
when you approach that person and you think of, oh, I'm going to ask them this, also ask the question, have they heard this question a thousand times before yeah. from people who approached them after a conference? Joel, Joel I you know, I was at Nappy last year and uh, I was sitting in one of these, um, like these have these tent areas you can kind of sit around and socialize. And uh, I was sitting there, there was, I mean, obviously content creators, that's all Nappy is. And this lady, she's sitting next to me and she's telling me that she has a YouTube channel and she has these followers and knowing her, she probably had 40 million followers because a lot of stuff she said didn't make sense to me. So that just seems to go hand in hand. And uh, I asked her, okay, well, what was the most fascinating thing you saw? And she goes, oh, I really love the guy from Facebook. I thought what he was talking about with their platform, it makes me so excited. I would, I would like to develop um, something for Facebook. Um, and then she said, but I was so disappointed because I was going to go ask him a question. And then he just left the room really fast. So obviously, okay. my question so to her she, was, is what, what question were you going to ask? What next? She said, well, I was going to ask him, how do I upload a video onto his platform? <laughs> and I thought, <laughs> what, what are you talking about? It's Facebook. You don't like that's built into the platform. That's not even a real question. It's, but I thought to myself, Please, I'm so glad that you didn't waste that guy's time asking him how to upload a video onto Facebook. Come on, people. Wow. So um, let's learn some lessons here. Like, let's not. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Right. Try harder. Please. <laughs> this is the moral of the story. Let's, or <laughs> use your brain. Um, so, yeah, that's um, we. Rita will be there with um, for the day. And um, I know she's excited to be part of this group of people. Um, she has experience with Yahoo. She came from Fox. Um, before that. So she's kind of lived in this space and knows it well. But the, what she talks about and the way she um, is processing the new world order that she's in charge of at Snap, um, I think it's just amazing. So I'm happy that she's coming, willing to share with us. And uh, I get to share my friend with the people. Yeah. At the, uh, in, well, good for you inviting her into that, into that uh, environment and having a conversation I just noticed that my little notification went off that in 60 seconds, I have to be on a call with Singapore and it's been nightmare getting this scheduled because I think they're exactly like when I look down at my feet, I can see Singapore. If I, if I go, they're exactly 12 hours behind us. (laughs) Yes. Or ahead of us actually, which is even more interesting. Oh, that's cool. So this is my way of saying, I cannot miss this call. Okay. It took forever to get it coordinated. Uh, problem. I totally appreciate that. It's eight o'clock New York City time, so I'm happy to go eat some dinner. Get me out of this office. Ah, uh, there you go. Well, enjoy your dinner and look forward to our next chat. All right, thanks. I want to tell you about a place to connect that you might not know about. It's our online community called Rev Community. It's a great place to get to know other creative business owners like yourself, to share some thought leadership and read other encouragement, to be challenged in this new marketplace, new technology, ideas, economic trends, and it's a place to research. Check out many of the resources we have online, our videos, and of course, this podcast. Join us today at revthink.com slash community. If you're a creative studio owner, feel free to join us today at revthink.com slash community. I look forward to seeing you there.